Jackson Cloud. I'm Jamin. I'm Olivia. And I'm Casey. And this is an online church. We hope you'll interact with us either in the comments below or on our Discord channel, which you can find in the information on this video below or at jacksoncloud.com. Hey, uh, we've been going through a, a series on spiritual gifts. Um, what's been your favorite gift so far? The one you want the most? I mean, the one that I want the most? Sure. It's Christmas time. I'm asking. You shall receive? Really? That's where you're going with that? I turned you might receive. Jesus into Santa Claus by accident. Uh-huh. Um, healing. Healing is the one that I have been yeah, that's a good one. considering with most. Good one. Good one. How about you? Um, I mean, the dream thing is pretty cool. Dreams? Yeah. <laughs> well, we discovered that as we were going through this, that you were very good with interpretation on dreams you didn't know before. So. Or I got really lucky on one specific dream. Maybe. We'll find out. That's part of the testing process. You try some others out, see how it goes, and that's how you learn, which I hope we've been learning as we go through this series on spiritual gifts is, again, kind of like a piano. You can't just look at the piano and say, man, I wish I could play that. Maybe someday, and then walk away from it. You actually have to sit down, press a few keys, see how it works together, see if the gifting's there, or if you're tone deaf, you know? <laughs> um, and so we've talked about a lot of gifts at this point, uh, or at least some of the ones that are weirder to help kind of like narrow, like gifts of mercy. We didn't talk about that because we all gather just being merciful <laughs> gifts of generosity we didn't talk about that because we kind of get the point right but we talked about some of the more obscure weird ones and we've gotten some good comments along the way which by the way if you have questions over anything we've been talking about leave that on our discord or below because we'd like to do a Q&A episode when we're done with the spiritual gifts topic although I was thinking you know you were talking about you couldn't just sit down as a piano and play it wasn't there the voice actor from Bob's Burgers that did an album where he just sat down and randomly played and made an album with jazz people. Yeah, so John H. Benjamin did in fact make a jazz album without knowing how to play piano. Sometimes it actually works pretty well. Other times it just sounds atrocious. So he was learning and testing his gift. He didn't walk away from the piano is what we're saying. That's he true. just sat down and tried uh, I guess to play it. I think he actually took piano lessons after. So he's, he's apparently that sparked something in him like, I should figure this thing out. But you know, in a more it's John just, H. Benjamin kind of. That just uh, popped into my head though as a, like you can't just sit down the piano and play it. I'm like, well, there was this one time. You would wonder if that would be called playing, but sure. He eventually realized some buttons work together better than other keys. But you know, anyways, uh, we've talked a lot about the gifts. Let's get into a little bit of the theology behind the gifts. Uh, starting with, uh, I thought we'd just talk a little bit about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we talk about Trinity, we oftentimes get confused or lost in the midst of, how does that work? Casey's one person. You're one person. I'm one person. But and together we make... No, no. no that's that's not the analogy nope. I was going with. But God is three persons, <laughs> but one? Like, you know, like, it defies our understanding of... So what you're saying is there's existence. three hosts on one Jackson Cloud morning show. But we're still not one. I, 
<laughs> have you guys heard analogies before? Uh, yeah, we're just giving you a hard time. We're giving you a hard time. No, I know. I'm just curious. Every, every pastor has spent their life trying to crack down, how can I best explain the Trinity? Is, have you ever heard an analogy that was like okay. the best you've heard? I mean, the clover. Explain. So, like, there's three leaves on a three-leaf clover. Mm -hmm. It is still one plant, but there are three leaves to it. Sure. Yeah. A little Irish, but... I mean, yeah, and I've heard similar things like an egg. There's the outside, also known as the shell. The sh that that's what it's called. That <laughs> thing, the shell, the uh, the clear part, and then the yellow part. <laughs> also known as the yolk. <laughs> What's the middle? The whites. <laughs> it no, might it sure might legitimately be called the whites. whites. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, either way, that would be similar. Like. It's three parts of a thing. But you know, like, if we were doing that, like, I'm Jamin, but I have, like, a bunch of organs, you know, like, it just doesn't quite, it's not the same thing. I don't Wait, who I don't doesn't have a bunch of organs? I'm just saying, like, listening right now. Jamin is one, but his organs are him, you know, like, it doesn't, it's still not the perfect analogy. I don't feel like there really is a perfect analogy for this because I think it's the kind of thing that we as humans cannot fully understand. Like, we can be like, yeah, no, I get it. But really, getting it for us is just accepting that it's above our heads. Yeah, that's a good point. It's hard to, like, really be able to tell. It's hard to take God and put him into human terms sometimes. And the Trinity is one of those things. So it might be helpful for us. You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, what he does. It would be helpful for us to see the ways in which God interacts with himself. Because he is one, but he is three. And the three actually work together. So think of there's one story where all three are, are present at the same time. Yeah, yeah, when Jesus gets baptized. Right? So you've got God baptizing God with God, right? The Father sends the Holy Spirit to the Son. They are all one, but in that moment, they're each carrying on like a different task of sorts. So, the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit's purpose in that story, though, is to empower Jesus. And the way that, that we can see that, I mean, that's at least one purpose, is to empower Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is known, especially throughout the Bible, for empowerment, anointing, and also as a creator. Right at the beginning of Genesis, you know, when the Holy Spirit's hovering over the face of the waters and then life is created. And Job and the Psalms talk about how the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is continuing to make, make us. So the Holy Spirit is known partially for creation or sustaining creation. Um, actually, the picture in Genesis, uh, the word for hovering over the face of the earth, we don't fully know what word to use there for hovering because it's... Hebrew is an ancient language, and we're talking like ancient, ancient Hebrew. So we look at Mesopotamian language, and we're like, what do they say? And the word that they sound similar for them is more like, like a bird brooding over an egg. So it's almost like if you were to imagine our planet being an egg, here comes the Holy Spirit incubating it, waiting to give birth to life. Okay. So... So that's just another illustration where we see creation. We also see the Holy Spirit as a creator because he's the one uh, not only empowering us for resurrected life right now, 
But Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, gave him resurrection life. And therefore, you see the Holy Spirit at the end of all things, he's creating again. So like, this is part of the reason Christians all the more would be like, there's only one way to heaven. It's because the Holy Spirit's the one who resurrects us. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the resurrection therefore wouldn't happen, you know? So, so creation at the beginning, creation right now, creation at the end, the Holy Spirit's a part of all that, but also empowerment. So in the Old Testament, and we've talked about this already, the New Testament isn't the only place where crazy things happen, right? I mean, miracles in the Old Testament, I'm trying to think of a few, we've already addressed some of them. There is healing. There's people being raised from the dead in the Old Testament. Uh, there's visions, there's signs and wonders, there's miracles, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. And for them, they knew, like, if you had the ability to do these things, if you prophesied, if you had all this stuff happening, well, you're just a human, you know, like, just like everybody else. You, you can't do these things alone. You mean there's not superpowers in the Old Testament? There is, but there is the person responsible for these superpowers, if you will, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's part of why, like, after David sinned, you know, with Bathsheba and the prophets called him out on it, and he just, till that moment, did not realize just how dark his life had become. Uh, one of the th we often think of that psalm where it's written, you know, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Hello, loud car. I guess I don't know if that uh, is, I'm quoting the song more than the psalm. Right. <laughs> the song is based on the psalm. Like this is, if this is David here saying, don't take your Holy Spirit from me because of the sin that he's caused, like he knows like, he knows life with the Spirit, and he knows life without the Spirit, and he likes it with the Spirit, and he likes the prophetic gifting and the anointing that comes with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is empowerment, uh, and we see the way that he works with God the Son by empowering God the Son. So Jesus is God, but He's human. Uh, the Bible actually tells us it uses the Greek word kenosis, which is like a emptying of, of self. So theologians would call it the kenotic view of the Bible, where essentially God is omnipotent, right? He has all the power. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's um, omnipresent. omnipresent. He is everywhere. But then he kenosis he empties himself of the things that are incompatible with being a human being to make himself human and come to earth to be with us right so jesus is not all powerful how do we know that he died <laughs> jesus is not all knowing how do we know that uh he's says he doesn't know when he's coming back. Yeah, that he doesn't know when he's coming back, only the Father knows. So there's an, if, look, you either know everything or you don't. <laughs> Omniscient means all things, right? <laughs> uh, so he's at least missing one thing among, he asks questions all the time when he's healing people, you know, like, why is he asking questions? He doesn't, he doesn't know 
every last thing, you know? How long have you been sick? Oh, come on, Jesus, you know this. No, I kenosis that from myself, you know? Like, I don't know that. But the Holy Spirit could tell him, but Jesus in that moment, speaking out of his humanity, how long have you been sick? Uh, and then omnipresent. That was pretty simple. Is Jesus everywhere? I mean, he is through his spirit, but when he was here... Well, and after. As a human being, like, is he... <laughs> Was Jesus present in all places at one time? No, uh, he, he was limited by his human flesh because he had come to redeem human flesh. So just like you can't do crazy things by your own power, you can't do crazy things by your own power. I can't do it, we need the Holy Spirit to do it. Jesus, I believe, kenosis emptied himself so much so of things that could not overlap with humanity that the way in which he did the supernatural things he did is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it, because where does his ministry start? At the baptism. At the baptism. God sends God to God. <laughs> the Father sends the Spirit to Jesus. And immediately following that moment, it says the Holy Spirit chases him out into the desert, <laughs> drives him out into the desert. He's tempted, and when he returns, it's kind of like some people don't even recognize, or like his hometown at least. It's like, who the heck is this guy? Like, this is Jesus, right? That human being we know. But now stories are getting around. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been doing all these things. Uh, feeding tons of people. Feeding tons of people. He has been, at his baptism, fully anointed by the Holy Spirit and fully empowered to do the work that he needs to do. So his baptism was his level up. Sure. <laughs> but he's going to walk from that. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have the Holy Spirit before, but at least in that moment, there was a really like potent mega unleashing, right? It's uh, awakening. I don't know. Too much? Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> but in that moment, there was there was a significant anointing change upon his life. He will now, by the Holy Spirit that he carries, go on to do things that the people of the Old Testament did when they had the Holy Spirit. He'll prophesy like David in his Psalms or the other prophets, right? He'll heal people like Elijah did. He will raise the dead like Elijah did. So when... Walk on water, oh wait, he was the only one that did well, that. Well, yeah. <laughs> but like, when, when people see Jesus doing things that they've heard people have done before, right? When the Jews are like, he's doing what Elijah did, you know? Like, what's going through their mind? Oh, it's Elijah. He's back. So that is actually what some of them think, because Elijah's just taken off into heaven. So like, he didn't die. Did Elijah just come back somehow? You know? Um, but others, uh, I would think if you knew the scriptures, you'd be like, oh, just like these people were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do crazy things. Now this Messiah or this Jesus guy, he's doing it all too. And... He, he must be doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not what they all thought. You remember what the Pharisees thought? It was the devil empowering him. Right? They're like, you cast out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus gets... Actually, Jesus is... One of his most startling words comes out of that conversation. First off, he reminds them what a kingdom standing against itself can't stand. 
we don't know anything about that in America. Uh, <laughs> but, but, right, a kingdom, so essentially you're saying, like, if Satan tries to cast out Satan, he's just going to ruin his kingdom. Why would he do that, right? So he, he, like, uses supernatural logic to be like, no, that's stupid, you guys. But then secondly, what does he say? He says, uh, uh, That was the part I remembered. Well, if, uh, he goes on to say, like, he kind of accuses them of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he says that that's an unforgivable sin. Everything else is forgivable. That one is not. <laughs> so when you go to church and I was like, it's all forgivable. Technically, biblically, <laughs> there's one that's not. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were certain sins that were not forgivable. Because what happens if you commit them? You get killed, right? So... There were certain sins in the Old Testament. You commit this sin, the verdict is death. We do not forgive it. With Jesus, he says, no, everything is forgivable. However, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if, in other words, you equate the Holy Spirit to Satan, is what he's telling them, like, that one still results in death. Not that he's going to kill you, but like, the eternal life is not ahead of you. Now, is it truly unforgivable? Look, we're going into topics I didn't plan on getting. <laughs> is it truly unforgivable? I Only God knows. Only God knows. That's a good one. Yeah. Also, Pharisees eventually got saved. So if they, like in Acts, there are Pharisees in the church because they finally came around to it. Um, so maybe some of them had committed that sin and felt God release them from it because they were no longer living in the lie that they had convinced themselves of. They had repented and perhaps, you know, they are no longer guilty of death because they don't hold that. Anyway, anyway that's not what we're getting into. That should have been a whole different episode. <laughs> The Holy Spirit empowers, right? So you've got God, the creator, on the throne, the father, the one who's created all things, the God of gods, Lord of lords, king of kings, uh, who is invisible. You cannot see him. All the power, all of that. And then you have the Holy Spirit, who is also invisible, but interacts with the earth, right? So God on the throne above the earth, you see him, you die. Holy Spirit, you can't see him, but you do interact with him. And then you have God physically there, which is Jesus, right? So God can't touch or you die. Holy Spirit interact with God on an invisible scale. And then Jesus interact with God on a physical scale. This is not a shell, egg white, egg yolk experience because these are three different thing well they're three different persons but they are the same person and what we can separate them by is the differences in which they typically interact with us even though they interact in the same way i mean the holy spirit at one point in acts is called the spirit of jesus so it's like hey holy spirit it's Jesus' spirit, same person. <laughs> they're just constantly overlapping so the bible knows these are all the same person and that's not new in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there was Jesus physical as well, or God physical as well. It was the angel of the Lord, um, not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. 
Now this confuses a lot of people. It sounds like crazy talk, but tons of theologians are totally fine with this thinking. I'm surprised how often I come across it. When the angel of the Lord shows up all throughout the Old Testament, they treat him like he's God. That angel gets worshipped sometimes, and the angel's cool with it because they, like, he seems to be God. <laughs> and then he, uh, um, he goes on to uh, talk as though he is God, like he delivers a message from God, but when people ask him questions, he then responds back as though he is God. He doesn't run back to the throne to get the answer and then come back. He just continues the conversation. So in my opinion, this Jesus figure of the Old Testament, this is Jesus. Uh, he shows up physically, so it's kind of God in a physical form, just more angelic in nature. Um, ask me questions on that if you have any, because they would hear that for the first time and be like, what? <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll make one more connection, one more connection. John, the book of John starts with the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. In the Old Testament, the word of God was one of those physical representations of God, just like the angel of the Lord. Sometimes the word of God was just something in your mind, but occasionally when the word of God shows up throughout the Old Testament, he's actually kind of there in physical form. Like the word of God came to me. Um, Jesus himself talks about talking to Abraham and everyone thinks he's a psychopath. They're like, what do you mean you talk to Abraham? You're hardly even, you're not even 50 years old and you talk to Abraham? And just Jesus kind of holds up to that understanding. How is that possible? Well, Abraham had a vision of the word of the Lord. Had a vision, so it's visual, but it's the word of the Lord, so it's it's this godlike figure again. So, anyways, the Bible draws a lot more parallels on that than you think, especially including the point that when you get to the New Testament, the angel of the Lord just vanishes. He's a main character in the Old Testament. In the New Testament. He's almost nowhere to be found because Jesus replaces him. <laughs> because Jesus, in my opinion, is him. Do what you want with that. But I'm using it to kind of help us see again the Trinity. They have different tasks, different points. God can't see, can't touch. Holy Spirit can't see, can touch. Jesus can see, can touch. So what you're saying is, is that the word of the Lord was the Old Testament's name for Jesus, but then he got the name Jesus at the start of the New Testament, but they are still the same being. Yeah, which one of my favorite moments gives me shivers. You remember that story where Jacob's ladder, right? Jacob falls asleep, has a dream, and he sees angels going up and down a ladder where he's at, and he wakes up, he's like, oh, this is sacred ground. I wasn't aware of that, like, this is one of the portals to heaven right here. <laughs> Sounds crazy to us, but that's like his thing. And then he wrestles with an angel right after that? Yeah. That's a crazy story, right? Wrestles with an angel, angel breaks his heel, I think. Um, and when he's done with that, like, if I remember right, or at least I think it could be deduced that this is the angel of the Lord, because he's not an angel, actually. He's a man. <laughs> it says that it's, it's blurring the lines between an angel and a man shows up, wrestles with him. And after he's done, he's like, tell me your name. And the angel man responds, why do you want to know my name? 
And that's the end of the story. You're like, it's Jesus. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like for me, I think that's like a biblical moment of like, ooh, shivers. Because in hindsight, you're like, oh. <laughs> because the same thing, I think, happens with Samson's parents. The angel of the Lord shows up, like, tell us your name. He's like, when you want to know my name, it is far too wonderful. Something like that. He's like, oh, Jesus! You know, like, I get really excited when I read these stories now in hindsight. Likewise, Abraham's about to sacrifice his son. Who stops him? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Down the road, though, who's going to sacrifice their son? God's going to let his son go for the sake of redeeming us. It's like, just imagine Jesus showing up on that mountain, be like, don't. Oh, you know, like, I'll deal with this. You know, like, it's, that's a whole nother, like, level of hindsight, right? So, anyway. Foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's part of the ways when you read the Bible, like, oh, this is just so complex that like only God could have truly pulled off this narrative you know it's like crazy uh, anyways we were talking about how the Holy Spirit empowers us now we've actually turned this whole conversation into the Trinity but that's important to know because the Holy Spirit's role in it is empowerment and part of the beauty of us as Christians is we live in the most exciting time with the Holy Spirit that has ever existed in history so far one day the Holy Spirit will conform us so much to Jesus that we'll look like him, we'll be free of moral decline. You think it's the most exciting time in history so far? From a spiritual perspective, yes. I shall explain. One day it will be more exciting when the Holy Spirit resurrects us to fullness. We put on immortal bodies, bodies that no longer even uh, sin because we're finally above that and not tempted by that. But right now is a time that the Old Testament did not have. In the Old Testament, only some people were anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they were typically leaders in charge of things. And then even they could get super messed up after that. Like Saul is anointed for the job and then fails miserably. But hold on, you said exciting. Yeah. But I feel like the time when Jesus was around was a lot more exciting at the time. Not for Jesus. He believed it was better that he left. So that we could have the Holy Spirit. Right. I think it is better for us, but I don't know if it's necessarily more exciting. It's exciting. Because here's the thing. Casey was, would rather meet Jesus than the Holy we Spirit. Would all, I mean, saying. but Jesus is the Holy Spirit, so you can't. <laughs> That's not a trinity. That's a twinity. Are you quoting something? Or I don't know. <laughs> twinity. <laughs> that's, that's the next Jackson Cloud shirt right there. <laughs> But I'm just saying, in terms of excitement, I feel like seeing miracles on a, you know, weekly or monthly basis. Did they? Count up all the miracles Jesus actually did. Those are the only records that we have. I'm sure he did more, right. but... But not everybody gets to see every miracle. I know, but Most like, people would only get to see one, maybe two. Well, here's maybe, the thing. Maybe more, because, you is... know, there'd be a few per town, but... There you go. But this is the problem with the church today, is we make it so boring. <laughs> we don't empower people. Church is just one person on a stage with a bunch of people listening to them. When it's meant to be, Jesus was thinking, I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be better if I do this. Because if I do this, I can ask the Father, who is me, to send the Holy Spirit, who is me, to everyone 
so that they can live like me and people can come in contact with me everywhere they go, not just in one spot. That, so... Mic drop. Yeah, so in the Old Testament, you come in contact with the Holy Spirit very rarely in certain people. In the New Testament, every single person, that's the big deal in Acts when they say the prophecy of Joel came to fruition. Whether you're rich or poor, slave or in charge of the top of the social ladder, a woman, man, just every single last diversity, doesn't matter if you're Christian, you get the Holy Spirit. And that's why we live in the most exciting time. Rebuttal. Walking on water and or feeding 5,000 sounds more exciting than what we currently see If you had enough faith, you could do that. Peter walked on water. Right. So maybe we can pull it off too. I don't know. All right. You you trade on that and see what happens. uh, All right. Coming up in our next episode. The spiritual gift of walking on water. Just 30 minutes of me trying, and I'm so wet and cold. It's snowing.